Staying Alive in Paragliding, a podcast series with your host, Steph Juncker from Cape Town, South Africa, the owner of Parapax Tandem Paragliding and a competition pilot of 23 years. Real podcasts for real pilots to learn from, to laugh at, and to enjoy the funny and crazy stories that go with it. On the line all the way from the let's say the middle of Norway in a little uh, town, in fact, outside of a little town, in an even smaller town, and outside of that little town, in an even smaller little town, in fact, four little towns on a tiny little island of Olesund, which is spelled A-L-E-S-U-N-D, in Norway, we have a fantastic guy on the line, and I'm not quite going to introduce him yet. I'm first going to tell something about his fantastic country. As much as I've been traveling in nearly 100 countries, the 2016 trip I did up to Norway, traveling with a car by myself, packed in a very arcane and bad way as a kind of emergency bed inside the car. But my idea was to camp with the tent every single night. And I did that for two and a half months around Norway, traveling from fjord to fjord, having driven the car up from Munich up to Denmark, crossing with a pretty inexpensive ferry. It was around 90 euros at the time, one way across to Kristiansand and left along the coast to Stavanger, to Bergen, and my furthest place in the north was Alessund. Uh, this uh, fantastic gentleman and I met each other at a place called Loen, which is spelled L-O-E-N, and a great place to go and fly with a cable car up there. There's a kind of fun little festival and offer by the cable car company, which had recently kind of done an upgrade. So we're going to talk about Norway today. We're going to talk about a, such a sensational country, which has made uh, an extremely important uh, impression in my life, a country which has very much sobered me up to lots of different thoughts, has opened up my mind to many, many things. And I'm going to tell you a couple of very interesting facts about that particular country. Norway, the name, comes from the way leading to the north. And that's because in the north of Norway, you've got Nordkap, and Nordkap Uh, from Kristiansand, we arrived, basically by road up to Nordkap is 2,300 kilometers. And uh, Nordkap, if I'm not mistaken, is right in the Arctic Circle and a place of absolute wonder for a lot of people and a place that a lot of people really have to go. I see my friend Louis nodding his head at me and obviously indicating that Nordkap is one of those places to go. Another place that people speak of going to in Norway is Lofoten, which is a whole lot of islands with some beautiful cast limestone formations on them, which is absolutely out of this world, apparently. It was a thousand kilometers further than where I was, and I felt I had already driven a lot. Norway, the way leading to the north, is a country with a hundred plus thousand kilometers of coastline. So it's a coastline of 25,000 kilometers, but if you count every single island and every contour around every island, you'll come to over a hundred thousand kilometers, which is a substantial amount of coastline where land meets sea, making it the second biggest uh, exporter of fish out of their country. Um, fishing and oil and gas being the strongest of their industries, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes' time. But Norway has uh, many, many more bragging rights than that, and much more important ones besides money and mineral resources. So the 100,000 kilometers of coastline is two and a half times around the equator. So fishing and the coast is an integral part of Norwegian life and culture. Even if you live way inland, the coast is actually very, very much part of your life in Norway. 9,500 BC was the first evidence of any kind of civilization going on in Norway. 
The country has lots of beautiful history. Dave churches, and if I'm not mistaken, there's about 24 or 28 of them that still exist. Some of them over a thousand years old, and they are built only with wood. They have got not a single nail inside them and no metal inside them. Uh, Lewis is giving me this constant nod, which is really assuring me. It's making me feel really good that my facts are kind of close to correct. Give or take a number or two here or there, I don't think I'll be too wrong. Excellent museums to visit in the country. And today, part of my uh, podcast here, which I have great pride and excitement doing, I will talk about how you can travel in Norway on the cheap, because I'm always traveling on the cheap. Not always. Most of the time, if I have the choice, I like to kind of rough it and live very much close to the people and to nature. That's my style of traveling. I do like a warm shower every now and then, but it's not always necessary. Ferries are also an integral part of life in Norway and ferries all over the place. If you decide that you want to try and save some money from taking a ferry, you are going to be losing a lot of money from the long drive around. So very often, you will see that Norway has got a hell of a lot of ferry crossings which are saving you hours and hours of driving around. It is part of the culture. So, for example, from Stavanger, um, you want to go up to Bergen, you take two or three short ferries and the road trip is made really quick. And those ferries are constantly moving up and down, so there's never any waiting. Cleverly done by the government to make the kind of costs of your life a little bit easier. And that, that I've just said, is very much part of the thinking in Norway today. So the the receding glaciers are in Norway. They are really a sad part. And uh, I saw them myself. I saw photos from 1910 and 1920s and what the glacier is at today. And that's absolutely shocking. I did a glacier tour in Norway. It cost around a thousand rand or 60 euros for a um, five or eight hour tour with a guide and crampons and going in the blue ice. One of the most amazing things to do. One of the most important things to do in Norway is the actual hikes, which are just gobsmacking. And unfortunately, something like social media and Facebook and uh, TripAdvisor have made a hell of a problem for the Norwegian population, and especially the people who try and keep things natural in nature by distributing tourists from one place to another. Unfortunately, social media has made a couple of hikes extremely sought after. And one of them that's actually gotten the top of the list is called Troltunga. And uh, Lewis will have to help me with my pronunciation. Troltunga means the tongue of the troll. So the troll is the little man and his tongue sticks out. You will all have in your minds a, a, a very slab section of rock sticking completely out from a cliff face. And people queue up to four or five hours to have their selfie photo taken at the end of that particular Toltunga tongue. And that kind of disgusted me and shocked me, uh, fortified my thinking of the selfie syndrome, this narcissism that we've been trying to um, uh, resist or, or push ourselves away from, and which is becoming a stronger and stronger attraction in our life. And um, part of us having mobile devices and being constantly addicted to them Toltunga Prekestolen, which means the pulpit, the priest's pulpit, which is also a thousand meter or twelve hundred meter section of rock which drops right down. You can stand on the edge and look straight down the cliff. Absolute base jumping paradise and an absolute delight to walk to. The other one is called Chirak Bolton, which is a rock which is basically wedged amongst two uh, cliff faces. You need quite big kahunas to step out over and step onto that ball-shaped rock 
which also creates a brilliant photo. But looking down on that uh, past that rock, you look a straight thousand meters drop down. Extremely uh, stimulating to travel around Norway. Landscape like you've never seen before. Um, not all that wild um, in terms of wild animals. And so the most dangerous animal they have is a polar bear. And uh, other bear, brown bear species are something that could give you a hard time. But besides that, it's kind of quite safe. The elk are not going to go for you unless you go for them. Talking about that, <laughs> one of the things I was doing every single day and every night was cooking on an open fire because the beauty of traveling in a country like Norway, especially doing it the way that um, I suggest doing it, which is road tripping with a tent or even better, a car that you can sleep in because of the adverse weather, you end up following the ancient Viking law, which is every man's right to the land. So as long as you are 150 meters from anybody's habitation or house, you are okay. You can go and park on a piece of field next to somebody's house and they will not come out the house and ask you, WTF, what are you doing there? They will quite simply leave you alone and uh, let you go on with a maybe smile and a nod. Lewis and I were chatting a few minutes ago about the difference between South Africans, forward slash Greek, forward slash Spanish people and Norwegians. His, his word was skeptic, that Nor Norwegians are skeptic. Some reason for that might be that in the north of Norway, for two months of the year, that's the whole month of December and the whole month of January, they live in complete darkness. And the days, of course, it's not from complete darkness to complete light within a month. They then get a tiny bit of light and a little bit more light. And as the days are getting shorter at the end of autumn, so the days get shorter and shorter and shorter until people in the north of Norway live in complete darkness. And of course, they have complete light at the 21st of June. The second biggest city after the capital, Oslo, Bergen, is a cute little place with 250,000 inhabitants. And it's the second most populous city in the Norwegian population, being just over 5 million people, about 5,3 today. Bergen has brilliant museums, but it's also the city where it rains the most in the whole continent of Europe. It's not uncommon to have rain every single day or 300 to 320 days of the year raining in Bergen. Of course, with climate change and the Gulf Stream, things are getting a little bit different there, but they're also experiencing it like many, many other people around the world are. Uh, on a side note, the National Meteorological Institute of Norway is one of the oldest in the world. It's just over 100 years old. The website is one that I use on a daily basis. It's called yr, letter y, letter r, dot n-o. And yr, you pronounce in Norwegian, ir. And ir means a light drizzle. And that's what you have a lot in Norway, as I found out in two months of camping. I was winching in a place called Lisbotten. I was flying wherever I could. I was flying over glaciers. I was hiking flying. I was going anywhere to go and try and get some flying. I was kiting, kite surfing in the fjords in places that people had never seen before near Gudvangen. I think you are something like the 10th biggest exporter of oil and the, the biggest exporter of oil in Europe. Um, you're the third biggest exporter of natural gas out of uh, in the world. Um, second biggest exporter of fish after China. All the electricity in Nor Norway is by hydropower, something I also found in Iceland, where they have a 200-meter drop-off where just one single hydroelectric plant actually has enough all the electricity on the whole island of Iceland, which is 
really commendable. The one amazing thing that is really holding Norway apart from any other country is the largest sovereign fund in the world. They have a $1 trillion sovereign fund, which is um, just unbelievably a lot of money. It's two and a half times the GDP per capita for the whole country. So it's basically two and a half years of any single average person's is what they would get if you broke that fund up. Uh, 60% of it are in shares all around the world. Criminals who have been murdering somebody or raping somebody are not actually behind closed fences in Norway, as Michael Moore pointed out in one of his documentaries. They are watched, analyzed, counseled, and not beaten and locked up like animals shouldn't be. They are actually to be brought back into society and be an integral part of society. So within a short time, the plan is for a murderer to be actually back functioning in society and behaving himself, which is, if you think about it, an extremely sensible way at looking at kind of punishment, if I may, uh, for people's crimes. One of the most respected judicial systems in the world, and one that comes from long, long ago, when the Vikings used to actually have something like a conference or a talk, and a whole different democracy than a pretend democracy, if you ask me, going on in America today. Some of the lowest crime levels in the world, and if you should have something like a happiness index, then Norway would probably be winning a prize for such a thing. They also have a lot of tongue-in-cheek humor, and they have a lot of fun. The most unofficial, famous dish is a frozen pizza, which on average, four of them are eaten by every single Norwegian every year. The climate is strangely mostly quoted as continental. And strangely enough, the climate only on the bottom south and southwest of the um, country is stormy and terrible. I had the idea that the weather would be really terrible, but I found it to be very mild and hardly ever crazy stormy. So we're going to ask Lewis about that because, of course, he's a paraglider pilot and he's going to tell us all about that. Very varying. So not so crazy cold in the south. It actually has very mild climates due to a kind of calming of the weather by the Gulf Stream. They have tundra, which is permanent ice in the very north of the country. The environment is described as attractive and dramatic. Attractive and dramatic is an understatement where it comes to Norway. For me, the environment and the scenery is a mindfuck. It's just unbelievable. It's really something worth seeing. And with your eyes, if you don't once in your life go to Norway and have a look at that scenery and the fjords, you're really missing something as a proper traveler. Norway has more electric cars per capita than any other country in the world. It's kind of hypocritical. No, it's not. It's forward thinking. It's progressive. And Norway is one of the most progressive countries in the world. Hell of a big forward thinking. How different can we do things and, and be? Viking museums, the Kontiki Museum in Oslo, and a variety of other cultural and interesting things make Norway one of the most attractive and amazing countries that I've ever been to. In a few moments' time, I'm going to actually introduce the man because he's been very, very patient on the line here. As you can see, I have been doing a bit of homework. I have sucked out a lot of information from people as well as 
from online uh, portals. Look at a map of Norway, have a look at some of the places. I will mention on the podcast at the end, uh, I traveled from which town to which town in direction. So you can kind of look where that is and enjoy yourself along there. Um, so it gives me great pleasure. We met three years ago. His nickname is Mickey Mouse. Oh no, in fact, his nickname has changed from Mickey Mouse to Mad Mickey Mouse, and he's going to tell us why. Welcome on the line. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thanks, Steph. It's very nice to be here with you. It's nice to see you again. Why are you called Mad Mickey Mouse instead of Mickey Mouse? Uh, the Mickey Mouse part started uh, on my second tour in Lebanon in the army, and I was falling in love with the alter ego of myself. So Mickey Mouse is a nice and uh, calm guy. After that, I was, yeah, I, I put the Mickey Mouse logo in my glider. For those that have been on Extreme Sport Week, they might have seen the yellow haircut with the Mickey Mouse logo in the back head. I've been at Extreme Sport Week for uh, more than 20 years, and it's a big extreme sports festival in uh, Voss in Norway. It's uh, one of the biggest extreme sports festivals in the world. Uh, I've been flying there in the opening show with a Mickey Mouse costume, and uh, one year, some kids gathering around trying to rip my tail off from the costume. And uh, let's just say I had to show him another side of Mickey Mouse, and after that, uh, it became Mad Mickey Mouse. <laughs> I, really, I, really, I really love that story. I think that's sensational. <laughs> you know, I used to be a clown professionally. So in my first days of clowning, kids were pulling my wig off and kicking me in the nuts. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a, a killer Steffi the Clown. <laughs> so you also had a nickname before. <laughs> uh, your yeah. nickname was Yellowbird because since 1992 that you started flying, and you wanted to tell me that you've done exactly 2,789 flights because you want to be precise, and I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> you have always been flying a yellow glider. Please yeah. tell us about that. Oh, it's just, uh, I think it was because of the first glider I bought uh, together with a good friend, uh, Einar Arne Kleiven. Uh, we bought a used glider because we had a, we had a test day. In Norway, it is obligatory to have a test day before you have a course. And that is free. It's uh, it's the club that will host it, and they will be there with instructors and letting people from uh, the street come there. They have to sign the the weaver, of course, uh, wear their mountain clothes, and they will get a helmet and uh, gloves. And in a small student hill, you'll be you'll be let to fly just a few meters to test it. I invited the instructor to come here to the island which where I live, which is called Ulsteinvik. It consists of four uh, communes. And uh, we, uh, we announced it and uh, the instructor came here and it was so crowded with people that wanted to try this test day that my friend Anaran and me, we couldn't test it. So we were, we have already seen enough. We knew this was something for us. We were agreeing that uh, we would have a course uh, after that. And the instructor said, uh, we asked him if he could uh, sell us a used uh, glider, how much would it cost? And he said, uh, you'll get a used one. And that was a Comet CXA-22 in 1992 for uh, 700 euros today's price. And uh, we, we said, uh, we talked together and we found out if we maxed our credit cards, we could just put that uh, amount on the table. So we went with the instructor home with a ferry. There was a ferry at that time. Now there is an underwater tunnel. And we bought a glider 
together. And uh, for those that have been flying a long time, know that at that time there was just this uh, board you had under your your uh, behind, as you probably tried yourself. And he said, now, you, don't you go and fly by yourself? No, of course not. So I have, uh, I just checked my logbook after I spoke with you. My first flight, flight number one, is from 150 meters. It's logged in 30 seconds. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and after that, we started the course and we were doing some flying in between at home because, yeah, we didn't know better and, and it worked. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you've told me that you've flown continuously through that time without any real serious accidents to speak of, any really horrible experiences. Of course, you've got a couple of really funny stories and some, some horrible experiences to tell us. Uh, I've, uh, you, you told me I've got three. I said, that's definitely not too much. You've got lots of stories to tell. So you impressed me the moment I met you in Loen and we had a good laugh together. I remember, well, I, I, I kind of forgot about that big party we had, but that happens to me a lot. You live on a small island where you have 50 sites, five zero sites within 45 minutes drive from you. Uh, the island is 10 kilometers wide and 10 years ago when they finally built a tunnel from you to the mainland of Olesun, it was the world's deepest tunnel. So tell us more yeah. about your island, tell us about your place. I live in Ulstamik, which is the west part of the island. That is that is the island that is 10 uh, kilometers wide. It's 20, a little bit more, 20 kilometers uh, long. That is uh, two of the communities. We consist of four communities. It is Haraid, Harei, Sanda and Ulstam. Here lives about 20,000, if I'm not wrong. And uh, in all these islands that are interconnected with uh, bridges, we have uh, more than 50 sites. And, but we fly on everything from trees on the beach and uh, higher mountains where you, where you hike to about uh, five, uh, 600 uh, meters. And we do cross country here. We have uh, air restrictions in the north and in the south. Uh, we have air support boxes in the middle of the island, but we have very good communication with the air controls in the area. And we sometimes are allowed to go higher up into their terminal area as well. We are using, so if, if there is any visiting pilots coming to Norway, I strongly uh, encourage them to use flightlog.org, which is a Scandinavian site uh, for our logging. So most Scandinavian pilots and also worldwide will use the flightlog.org. And uh, if, you, uh, if you look at the map where you are, you can easily find a site, just type in the site, and you'll find who is flying there and who was flying uh, last there. And you could find the person's phone number and you could take contact with them. And, and like you said, about the, uh, the right of uh, moving out in the free in the, in the wild and the distance to the landowners, as, as for anyone, that is, uh, that is correct how you said it, but I would encourage any, anyway, uh, like, like you said also, Norwegians are a little bit skeptic, you know, why, why it is like that, I don't know, it's uh, the temperature, it's the, it's the mood, it's how we brought up and everything. As you said also, in the, in the winter in, in the far north, we have uh, 23 hours with totally pitch black, and one hour with twilight. I was up there in the army and uh, it's challenging, but uh, you get used to it. Where I live, we have more normal days and nights, but in the summer we have the midnight sun. 
and far more south you have more day night like you have more uh, south in Europe but uh, if you go uh, close to landowner it's so much easier if you knock on their door and ask them politely if it's okay that you stay there and of course if you do so bring your litter home and uh, leave nothing but footprints very very nice i mean uh, absolutely brilliant brilliant experiences i didn't have one person come over to me in any aggressive way at all in two and a half months of okay i don't go and camp on people's nicest lawn or on any of their vegetation or any of their i don't go on their herb garden and think that's a nice place to put my uh, tent so a little respect works both ways um one thing i want to do also say about traveling in norway really cheaply is fly to oslo and google rent a wreck or uh, uh, rent a used car. Part of the Norwegian progressive culture is why not? If I've got a second-hand car, rent it so that somebody can travel around. Tell us more about your country, friend. It is not allowed to have commercial schools in Norway, so everything is directed through a club. We have a quite good educational okay. systems. In Norway now we're about 2200 pilots flying paragliders. Uh, the hang gliders, the deltas are about only 180 unfortunately, and speed gliders now count uh, mere 480 pilots. And uh, our club is uh, was founded in 1995. We're about 40 members and we're surrounded by three other clubs uh, in the vicinity of uh, of here like you refer to Ålesund there is a club and uh, if i go with the the undersea tunnel i'm not getting to Ålesund uh, as you said it's i'm coming towards Ørsta Volda which has a club that have hosted many norwegian cups uh, in cross country flying through the years if i pass there i will i will be coming to Luen where they have the cable car that takes you up to 1000 meters which has been a new mecca for uh, especially speed glider pilots and base jumpers. Uh, they will go up there and they'll actually jump from uh, from the just below the window of the restaurant there. Uh, I have one question though. You've been referring to when we first met in Lewen. Do you remember where we actually first met? Steph? You're going to remind me right now because Yeah. I, I, when I was four, I smoked way too much weed. My mother made me a lot of weed cookies when I was between the age of four and eight years old. And mm -hmm. I have a really terrible memory, especially when it comes to meeting people, because I meet thousands of people. Yeah, I know, I know. Please tell me. Did we sleep together? No, we didn't. We didn't get a chance. Uh, <laughs> it was... Well, there's still time. There's still time. <laughs> I got the privilege of visiting uh, Alan Soller and Randy Eriksson in the World Championship. Uh, aerobatics in 2006 and I was invited to comment there and uh, we became uh, acquainted and uh, I asked you to, to join me to comment uh, during the in Villeneuve Swiss. Of course at Villeneuve in Switzerland and yeah. now I remember yeah of course I know Alain Zoller for many years before that from Air Tourquoise and from the early days and uh, yeah, Alexander Poe uh, uh, obviously was on that scene Then we met with the Rodriguez brothers, and uh, I got a podcast with Felix Rodriguez a few days ago. It's so yeah. funny. I'm waiting yeah. a few days to release it, but you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. Yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, he's a he's a great guy, both him and his his brother uh, Raúl. And uh, yeah, I met him by several uh, occasions. Uh, you refer to to that you've met Alan Soller as well, and he was actually the the first guy that uh, made acro aerobatics possible by instructing. He was, uh, he, the, some guys had already started a little bit flying aerobatics 
in Norway, where Paul Hammarogne, Ronnie Olsen, and Paul Rolandvik, amongst. And Alan Solar, he was here during the Extreme Sport Week many, many years ago. And uh, then he had a course for aerobatics. And uh, we were a few guys lucky to be on it. And uh, Jan Nilsson was, uh, I would say he was uh, the head of hosting everything that had to with aerobatics to do. And uh, we had uh, your countryman, uh, Alex uh, Lowe, was here as well. Uh, Lowe. <laughs> yeah. Such um, a crazy guy. Such. Yeah, Papa. Uh, from um, the guy that is a little little guy. Um, he was the uh, hang gliding and paragliding champion. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Come on, what's? Yeah, Papa. He was. Uh, we'll yeah. think about it in a few. No, they hosted here a aerobatic uh, aerobatic um, course, and. Uh, for us, it was when it all started. Uh, Vertigo Voss started, a spring off from Alan Soller's Vertigo Villeneuve. And it was uh, CAT 2 competitions. I think it was around 2004 or something, the first time uh, we had these great names, as, as you mentioned earlier, with the Rodriguez brothers. And yeah, all, all the names that were big at that time. And uh, is that how Voss got popular for paragliding? Because um, Honestly said, when I came to uh, Norway, I actually had very, very little contact with any pilots. I actually didn't even know where any flying sites officially and really were and which ones were more popular than others. Because without criticism, and I commend the people who have done paragliding uh, MAP and paragliding 365 and paragliding Earth, which is the one I seem to use the most, I only had those as reference. And I was looking at like paragliding Earth and looking for sites and you would have a lot of sites around, but there would hardly be any comments or that's a good place or that's closed or that's open or these are these visiting pilots. So that wasn't the right resource for Norway. So I actually arrived in your country and I had very, very little um, uh, contact. Roald in Stavanger was very nice to me and he actually showed me my first official flying site. Um, that was uh, the first proper place I flew just before I got to Stavanger, um, I obviously had some little flying on the coast, but otherwise all I was doing was driving and just looking. And then I realized that you actually had the fjords and you had some really, really nice places as I got further north and a little bit more inland. Now, it's difficult to say inland because in Norway, your fjords ex extend up to 220 kilometers inland. So a fjord is a very, very special, it's not like anything else in the world. A fjord is where the sea meets the very fresh spring, which comes off generally from glacial waters or a hell of a drop off from very steep cliffs and rainwater with huge salmon that are sometimes up to 10 or 12 kilograms living upstream of this. Um, I have to ask you about your really, really funny stories. When I spoke to you earlier today, you told me that yesterday you were flying and it was kind of drizzling. And then you wiped your nose once with your gloves, your military gloves, which you have for the warmth because it's so bloody cold all the time. And you wiped your, and you thought you were sick or something because it was so wet. And then you looked up and you realized that all your lines were dripping because it was actually so humid and wet. But you invented a new game yesterday called Kick the Bush. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, I put it up uh, actually in the end of last year. I put up uh, a small bush on our uh, soaring site, Reyrafjella. Uh, it's about two meters high, and uh, it's just to improve your skills, to force you to be in a different space. So it's a bush, and you have to kick it. And yesterday, I put a small uh, sheep's bell on it so everybody can hear when you 
when you hit the top of the bush. It's just, uh, of course, you, you get very close to the terrain and there is a, there's a certain amount of danger to it. But it's to, to be soaring at your, uh, at your favorite site, you know, it can get a little bit dull and, and boring. But, uh, but when, you, when you play kick the bush, you have to be able to descend with your paraglider and not to go too low like I did after two hours yesterday. I had an, an unwilling landing, but it was okay. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's don't worry, we've all had those. <laughs> but it's all about uh, having fun, and I think that is uh, that is one of my bigger driving forces is to to always enjoy. Like uh, I can I can have fun as well on the ground, and I I really encourage people to to play more on the ground. And and I was competing in aerobatics earlier, and uh, I think that one of my ways of being able to get into the spin maneuvers, for instance, was that I knew my glider so very well from the ground. Like uh, if you do backwards kiting, like if you are with your back into the wind and you have your glider facing downwards, where you are able to just fly the glider above the ground, you are in the perfect setting for a parachute stall. And that is where all the helicopter maneuvers happen and all of these things, the misty flips and everything. And I think that, of course, there is, there is more wear on your paraglider playing like this. But I mean, if you are so afraid of your paraglider, maybe you should just keep it in the closet or, or sell it to be, to be sure. But there is so much fun you can do on the ground. And if you have a grassy, grassy, windy slope or like we have close to the beach, it's uh, there's so much fun you can learn from it and now with youtube there is so many people posting uh, how to do stuff and uh, i think that is uh, it's there's so many possibilities and and that more you play that more you'll put yourself in an unwanted situation sooner or later but i have a motto it is to to uh, stretch your elastic slowly and everybody knows that if you stretch an elastic slowly it will take a long time before it breaks. If you snap it by moving it fast, it's broken. And uh, if you are in a if you are in a setting to to play, you know that sooner or later you'll take uh, you'll put water above your head. But then you are in a state of mind where you expect things to happen. And I think uh, you are more easy to be prepared to to tackle those situations. Those are very, very good tips. Um, uh, very often I'm hearing um, uh, pilots uh, in podcasts, of course, I've started doing these, this is about my 23rd one that I do, um, and I'm getting a lot of feedback from pilots more and more, not just on the thinking that I thought was a little bit more unique to kind of, let's go back to basics, but the ground handling and the really knowing uh, how to kite your glider and ground handle your glider on all sorts of kind of terrains is probably what's going to save your life. You've got another funny story to tell. And just before you do that, I always ask everybody what their favorite music is. And you said it was Saga, a band from Canada. So it sounded quite heavy rock to me when I listened to it. You said it's not nearly heavy rock. Let's check it out. S-A-G-A. Tell us your other funny stories, please. <laughs> I was uh, visiting my friends in, uh, in, in Greece, in the island of Crete. I was up there to test a site that 
they wanted somebody with a little bit more uh, experience. It was kind of rocky. It was so rocky and small boulders that they put an olive net, the net that they catch the olives with. They put it on the stones. And it's inside a kind of a, in a ball. And there is a venturi in the entrance of this ball. And we were launching from the top of this uh, ball. And the, the idea was to fly through the venturi and out in the valley and maybe catch some thermals. My friend Eftikis, he said, I've, I've known him since I was first time in, in Greece in uh, 1996. Miki, if you can't make it through the Venturi, you can land down with the peas. And I looked down uh, to see where the peas are, and I could see some bluish uh, rectangles down there. And I thought, well, I've never seen a pea farm before, so, it, well, it's probably where, the, where they grow the peas. It was very windy. I had three guys to hold my glider down. So when I said to these guys, okay, release, they released it asymmetrically. So one wingtip started higher than the other. So I was launched backwards with a glider that was already starting to turn to go back in the lee side of the mountain. When I gained control over the glider, I was struggling in the, in the headwind. And then I said on the radio to Eftikis, I, I can't make it to the main landing. I'll go for the uh, reserve landing. And he said, be careful with the bees. I said, what? Bees? You said peace. No, no, Mickey. Bees. Bees. Be careful with the bees. So I was, I was getting down there and I was realizing these uh, blue rectangles were not a pea farm. It was bees. It was beehives. A lot of beehives. And being yellow bird at that time, looking like the biggest flower, you know, yellow, yellow glider, you have a yellow helmet, you have a yellow flight suit. I think I made my softest landing ever. I was, <laughs> I was really touching very carefully down and then I moved backwards. I was, I would reckon about 30, 30, 50 meters away from the beehives and I wasn't stung by any of them. So, so that is so much for, for difference between peace and bees. Uh, I just want to say that about flying sites in Norway, I just looked it up and there is 4,649 registered flying sites in Norway if you use FlightLog. Uh, I, was, uh, I was having the privilege of serving in, uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in Firom, in uh, ex-Yugoslavia, uh, then called Macedonia. And now it's called former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia or North Macedonia. And I was there in the army in UN in 1993. At that time, I was, uh, of course, a student as I started flying in 92. So I, uh, I just uh, ordered my uh, Edel, uh, my Edel Apollo 24, uh, poster assistant uh, to Skopje, the capital. But instead of that, I hit my, uh, my rifle, uh, hit my uniform there, put on some civilian clothes and shades. We drove with his car down to the capital of Skopje. And I went to the post office, got my brand new Apollo and, uh, and I bought a motorcycle helmet. And I was actually allowed to fly during mission and uh, not as a part of my mission, but, uh, but on the patrols, we would go on the mountain with a belt wagon or a jeep and I could fly back. And my squad leader, he was, uh, he was an ex-parachute regiment uh, officer. 
and a skydiver and a base jumper. He was actually kicked off the Norwegian uh, CRV, no, not CRV, the, um, the formation uh, skydivers in Norway. And he was kicked off there because he did base jumping, which was forbidden at that time, Tom Solberg. And I taught him to fly paragliders when I was in service as a, as a really uh, fresh student myself. And we would be flying, both of us, uh, there. But before he, uh, he started flying, I was once up, and I didn't know about prevailing winds and thermal effects on winds. And it seems that Uboten, which is the highest mountain in Macedonia, or North Macedonia, is uh, 2,499 meters, and they have a prevailing north-northeasterly wind at that time. And uh, we had to go down to 2,200 meters, and there was a southerly wind. And I launched off there, and I was going to pass the camp that I was uh, residing on at that time. I had my uh, Heckler & Koch uh, G3 under the harness with the grenade launcher. And then I passed the position where I was living, and I was going to the other position in our platoon. And when I was uh, heading up for a headwind, which then was my tailwind flying, I realized the flag was really hammering and uh, I didn't have a chance at all. And uh, I checked my logbook and I was flying 1.2 kilometers backwards. And I was out of the map where we normally conducted patrols and everything. I didn't have a clue where I was. So luckily, there was this mountain that Ooh. is almost 2,500 meters in front of me so that I could navigate back. But at that time, there was no danger. So, but uh, yeah, it was understanding a little bit more meteorology by doing it. 5,000 sites in your country. That's so crazy. And while we had a few moments, I thought up Robbie Whittle. That's Robbie the name Whittle. of that Robbie, little yeah. dwarf who Robbie caused Whittle. so many troubles at Vertigo, including with me. Him and I got up to one. We nearly got arrested in Switzerland once, but I'm not doing that again. He's definitely a living legend. I've also made a note to try and reach him on one of these podcasts. It yeah, really should. nice. Louis, thank you very much. He is such a social and wonderful character. He's flying a Mantra M4, which of course is yellow today because every glider he's owned got to be yellow. Last words for you, Louis, as I sign off and say cheers. Yeah, I just just if you want to have a little uh, idea on how the the environment looks like here, I have a YouTube channel called Mad Mickey Mouse in one word YouTube, and uh, there are some videos that I've filmed locally and a little bit, of course, when I've been traveling around. But uh, super cool! It's all about sharing. It's all about getting it out there, pass it far and wide. It's just for fun. I make no money with this. I just want to have a really, really, really uh, good time and uh, maybe just spread the good. How would we say vibes of the universe, much like dust of the universe? You've got something to say, Luis. Ciao. I've always had this, this will to pay back because uh, it's in paragliding. The, the cool thing about paragliding is whether you travel to Colombia to fly. I was, I've never been so scared to go anywhere alone as I was when I went to Colombia. And I met with Ruben Fly uh, Montoya Vargas of uh, Medellin. Everybody that have only watched the news and not, not seen behind the curtain, they know that it's, it's a scary name, you know, Medellin, Colombia. He took me to the store. He set me up with a cell phone. He contacted people in the mountains where I could live and everything. When you, when you have a paraglider on your back and you're traveling around, you're already, you have already something in common. And it doesn't care. We're, we love to fly together. And of course... 
there will be different personalities in paragliding. But I mean, the people that travel with a paraglider, like yourself, for the sharing of the knowledge and sharing of experiences and everything. And that is just, a, I, I could never explain it to people that don't fly enough how much it really means. I didn't, ha I didn't know anybody. I just contacted people uh, through the net and I was so warmly taken care of. And, and it's so nice when people contact me when they're visiting here. Or even if they're not coming here, they'll just contact me to get some information about another site where they are in Norway. And, and I'd be happy to help them. So uh, it's been very nice being here with you, Steph. See you again soon, my friend. Let's wrap it here. I hope so. Ciao. And take care and uh, good flights. Ciao.